want to, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and this will be the last of the sermons in the series uh, that I've entitled Trip Advisor. And uh, we all know what TripAdvisor is by now. It's that little app that you go to on your device, and you look up where you're going, and it'll tell you all about it, whether it's good, whether it's bad. It'll have people's opinions of it and all of those things. And uh, one time, I think it was back in 1998, our family was taking a road trip. It was Dana and I and Tyler, Taylor, and Tabitha. And, uh, you know, they were all pretty young, and uh, we decided kind of last minute that we were going to take a trip to Palm Springs, California in July. And I don't know if you've been to Palm Springs, but it's in the Mojave Desert, and July gets to be about 110. And uh, it, it's all okay with me. I don't mind the heat so much, but it's when the wind starts blowing about 50 miles an hour, and it sandblasts everything. You know, you've been to the beach and had that sandy grit in your mouth. That's one thing I don't like about that. I like the beach, but I don't like that. But you got that sandy stuff. But anyway, uh, but we got a late start on a Sunday afternoon because my dad decided he would come early Saturday without telling us and bring two horses for the kids. Well, that sounds wonderful, and it was wonderful for the kids, but we had no place to keep horses. So we spent the whole day Saturday trying to find a place to keep the horses, did the church Sunday morning, headed out Sunday afternoon, or late Sunday afternoon, uncle in the hospital, stopped to visit him in Oklahoma City, head out, and the farthest that we could get was Amarillo, Texas, okay? Well, Amarillo, Texas is the place everybody stops, okay? Uh, on, on the highway coming out of Dallas through Wichita Falls, that, that's where they stop. Those coming from the west, that's where they stop. Those coming from the east, that's where they stop. Well, we thought, well, that'd be one place to stop because everybody stops there. The only problem, they, they were out of hotel rooms, okay? And the only hotel room that I could find was $49.99, and uh, uh, it was three-story, and you got up there, and we got the suite, it had like three rooms. But the whole deal was is the cockroaches were all holding hands. Had they not been holding hands, the building would have fallen down, I promise. It was bad. And I'm glad it was really late at night because Dana couldn't see everything. She's just kind of walking in, putting kids in bed and all that. She woke up the next morning, what have you done? You know, so anyway, but that was uh, the beginning of our trip. It ended pretty well except for Dana's spider bite at the end. She got bit by a black widow spider. And, uh, yeah, was, we were loading up to leave, and uh, she starts jumping around behind our van, and she kicks her shoe off like this, and this bug rolls out of her shoe like this, and it just opened its legs as there's that red hourglass thing there, you know. So I called poison control and said, what do I do? And they said, well, you can take her to the doctor. Probably won't do any good. She's not going to die, but she's going to feel like she wants to die. And uh, it has the same venom as a cobra. It's paralyzing the muscles and things. And about midway between Blythe, California, and Needles, California, she starts feeling the effects. And she goes, I can't travel. So we end up having to fly her back out of Laughlin, Nevada, and here I go cross-country with uh, 
uh, three small childrens by myself. It was a lovely experience. But anyway, Dana made it home after an adventuresome trip, and I won't go into all that, but that was a road trip, and it was really nice to be home again, okay, when I finally got home. And the title of the message tonight is Coming Home, all right? Jesus, in Luke 15, is telling a parable. A parable, as you all know, is a small story in the scriptures that has a big meaning. And in this story, we have Jesus, who is fully man, he's fully God, he's fully divine, but yet fully man, okay? The Pharisees and the sinners were also two groups were there hearing Jesus share this parable. Now, the Pharisees, they're very religious, but they're like lawyers. They point out to people, well, you're doing that wrong, you're saying that wrong, you're not doing that right, and those kind of things. They were there, okay? Um, they tried to live their life by getting God's attention by doing good and obeying the law. And they thought that was the way to God, okay? The sinners... You know, we use the term. It's not a pretty term, but we use the term. Sinners are people who are separated from God, quite simply. Sinners are people that are separated from God. Some knowingly separated, some not. But sinners live their way, their lives in the best way that they know how. They don't have any idea what direction to go, but they just try to make it by. Okay? But Jesus starts out these parables by saying, Suppose you, suppose you, he goes directly at his audience, directly at the Pharisees, directly at the sinners, suppose you, suppose you have a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what do you do? Well, there's a couple options. You can say, well, okay, it's only one percent. Move on. You count your losses and you just go on and you take care of all the other sheep. But then there was another opinion among the group and they said, you know, you can leave the 99 and go look for the lost sheep. And Jesus jumps all over that answer. Of course, you'll search and you'll find your sheep and then you'll celebrate when you find the sheep that was lost. Okay? Then he goes on to move to the second part. There are three parts to this parable. You got 10 coins, you lose one of them. That's ironic. They lost the tithe. What do you do? Will you say, ah, it might show up, you know, but I don't really have time to search for the coin? You might respond that way. You might respond the second way. I'm going to search until I find it. You'll call all your friends when you do find it, and you'll have a celebration. Those are the two options in either case, okay? And here we go. Number one, Jesus seeks and saves. The item in each of these examples is relatively small. The sheep, 1%. The coin, 10%. They search. The owner searches. The shepherd searches, and Jesus does the same thing. Isaiah 40 and 11, I think this is a beautiful scripture on how the shepherd cares for his sheep. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. 
You know, to the outsider looking in, the sheep and the coin, once again, only represented a small portion of wealth to the owner. But it should speak, however, to the value that the owner saw in the coin. And the value he saw in the sheep. To us, no big deal. To the owner and the shepherd, it was a big deal. And it also should speak to the value that Jesus places on his sheep. Because he says he will leave the 99 and come searching for you. Does that tell you how valuable you are to him? I thank the Lord that he didn't just cut his losses and say, oh well. But he steps out of heaven when that person is lost and he runs after him. Our culture sets up a society where some are valuable and some are not. You're not pretty, you go over there. You're not smart, go over there. You're not charismatic, well, you go over there. You don't have much value. You're not very much important, so you're marginalized. You're pushed out. Go over there. Go over there. Today, I want to remind you that God cares for every person. He cares for the unlovely and he cares for the lovely. He cares for the smart and those who are not much educated. He cares for every butter. You matter, and he's not forgotten you. God engages with those, number two, God engages with those who are not interested in him. He does. You know, there's a passage in scriptures that, that says, we were still sinners and Christ died for us. We didn't even know he was doing this. And he's dying for us? Yeah. This should bring a lot of us hope. Those family members that don't know him, those sons and daughters that are lost, he's still seeking them. Just like the sheep and the coin, he will seek them out, and when he finds them, he'll celebrate. Do you guys celebrate? What do you celebrate? Birthdays? Okay. Christmas? Anniversaries? You celebrate a lot of things, okay? And I think God celebrates. I know he celebrates because it says here in the scripture, it indicates that he celebrates. He celebrates because it's important. I've got to be transparent. I don't celebrate enough. And I think after you hear me say what that's all about, I think you'll decide you don't celebrate enough either. I remember days in my life. And I remember those days because God had his fingerprint all over those days. He planned them. He set them up. And I remember in 1977, in the month of November, sometime probably around between the 10th and the 15th, I don't know the exact date, I found out. I was already saved. I was already a believer in those things. But I found out that Jesus really does love me. I was in the fall revival at SAGU. 
And there was an altar call, and I went to the altar, and I don't even remember what the altar call was about, but I just knew I needed to be there. And I was in good company. There were all kinds of kids all around the, the front of the, the chapel there on campus. And Dave Reaver, while he's praying and things, he turns around and he looks at me. He gets eye contact, and I say eye contact, not eyes contact, because he only has one. He got eye contact, okay, and he pointed directly at me, and he said, Jesus loves you. He didn't know my circumstances. He didn't know my life situation. He didn't know the things that I was going through, the emotional turmoil that I was battling at that particular time. But God turned and his finger toward me, I believe, for that one phrase, God loves you. And I went in that instant to a person who was completely broken and contrite before God, recognizing that I didn't have to serve him just because I was afraid of going to hell. That something burst inside of me and realized I love Jesus because he loves me. He gave his life for me. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell, but I want to be in the presence of Jesus as much as I possibly can be because he loves me and he died for me even as I was a sinner. You know? I don't celebrate that enough. Well, Scott, you don't even know the exact date. November 10th through the 15th? Huh. 1977? You don't know. I don't care. I can celebrate it on July 4th if I want. I can celebrate it on February 29th. I can celebrate it on October 3rd. It's my daughter's birthday, by the way. doesn't matter when I celebrate it. I just need to celebrate it. And you're probably thinking of days in your life that God had his fingerprint all over that day. Something happened. Something changed. Something snapped in your heart. Something exploded in your being, and it caused you to change forever in your attitude toward him. We need to celebrate that. You don't need to make crepe paper or anything like that or balloons. Just celebrate in your heart. No big deal to you, probably, November 10th through the 15th. But it was a big deal to him. Luke 15 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You see, when you divide up the property between your sons and your daughters, you're not supposed to do that until you die. Do you understand what the, the son was saying, the youngest son? He was going to his dad and says, I wish you were dead. So go ahead and just give me my part right now so I can get out of here and forget about you people. Give me my share. There are extra biblical writings that tell fathers in the Middle East 
If your son does this to you, that you're not to divide your inheritance at that time. Don't do it. I don't know why this dad decided to do it. Maybe it was to keep the peace. Maybe it was hopefully he would have a better relationship with his son later on. But he did it. The economics of this are that the son probably got 30% of the father's wealth. The older son probably got 60% later on. Okay, That's just the economics. That's the hard facts there. Okay. Some say that the father had to probably sell some of his assets and probably take out a loan to accomplish what he was getting ready to do to his son, and it hurt. And the word in the Greek for the pieces of money that were given was bios, life. When you study biology, you study life. He was giving the family's life, life's blood. It was what supported the family's life. And it hurt. Luke 15, 13 through 18. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. They couldn't even make, let him eat pig's food. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You know, the son's actions were immature. What's going to make me feel good today? What will make me forget about my mom and dad today? What will make me forget about my entire family today? He left with the money and not long after found himself working for somebody else and he was feeding pigs. And you know how the Jews feel about working for somebody else? You'll never get rich working for somebody else is how they feel. And you certainly don't work for a pig farmer. Unclean. Everything about them. They don't even want to touch them. They don't want to be around them. They certainly wouldn't eat them. Famine comes. He has no money and he has no food. And I picture him accepting this job with this pig farmer and stumbling into the pig pen and perhaps falling down and rolling over in the slop and looking up and seeing one of those pigs nose to nose or snout to snout. Suddenly a light bulb, bulb pops on in his head and he thinks, you know, I've got to have a plan to get out of this mess. He thinks, I'll go to my father and I'm going to tell him that I'll work like one of his servants and I'll pay back everything that I owe him if he'll just make me one of those servants who works for him. You know, there's something about the draw of home. You know, I can go back to my hometown, drive around and say, yeah, I did that there. Played this ball game there. Got in trouble here. Just, 
you know, and, and there's something warming about that. And I drive to Oklahoma City, and that was my stomping grounds, you know. That restaurant used to be there 35 years ago. Not there anymore.